Cardone to uh, your guys' April meeting. I actually had a talk up there. Yeah, uh, it was in Orlando and Grant, so I have to fly there too, so we jump on the plane together. He started explaining uh, AMI and your group to me. I said, you know, that sounds very familiar with something that I've been doing for the last 14 or 15 years. And I shared with Grant as we, we had just entered our new partnership, and I'll talk about how we met each other. But uh, I shared with Grant a research report I had just come off of where I spent about a million dollars and then identified your sector, your passion, your joy as one of the hottest new growth areas in healthcare. And, and I said, I'm really excited. I'm going to go meet uh, the team. We'll get into how I got here on the stage today. But for uh, me, it's certainly a pleasure to be here in front of all of you. So I kind of want to take you backwards to, to, to lead you up to some principles uh, that I've learned since I was a kid. And I like to use this little walnuts uh, story to explain the things that I learned. See, when I was 16 years old, uh, I was living in Cabalas, Oregon. I wasn't a great student. I was a pretty good athlete for a small school, but I wasn't a great student. So I cared about school because I cared about staying uh, in the sports programs. And when I was 16, my parents grounded me. I did something stupid. And so they were going on a family vacation with my little brothers. And I went to this little private Christian school. And my parents, in order to put my little brothers and I through this Christian school, my dad served as the chairman in order to offset some of the expense. And then we had a walnut orchard. So we had five acres of walnuts. And every single year, we needed to generate $5,500 from the walnut orchard in order to send myself and my little brothers to school. Well, this particular year, anybody ever pick up walnuts? Okay, so you understand, like, uh, it's not a badge of honor when you're going to school for two or three months and your hands are stinging yellow, right? And you're embarrassed that, that, that you had to pick up these walnuts and stain your hands everywhere. Which one with your hands? Go ahead, pick up walnuts. So, my parents are going on vacation. Now, I'm working as a busboy. I have my driver's license. So, in the evening, I worked at a restaurant. So, I couldn't take my car away. They were going to be gone for a week. So, what they decided to do to ground me is telling I need to pick up a walnut orchard by myself. Well, this posed a little bit of a problem because unbeknownst to them, I had a girl out And I thought I was going to go see her during the day because they were out of town. So I think they were onto that, so they grounded me for the walnut orchard. So I went to school on a Friday. They left on Thursday night. I went to school Friday and I was a little depressed because I was going to spend the next week picking up these dirty walnuts. But I understood the significance and importance of the walnuts. I knew that I could not pick them up because our family depended on my school depended on in order for me to go to school. But I did walk in that morning and I saw a note on one of the lockers in the hallway. And the note said, Senior Fund Drive. And I thought, what is the Senior Fund Drive? So I went and found the president of the senior class. Now it was a very small Christian school. There was only maybe 30, 40 people. So I go to the senior, the, the president of the senior class, and I said, what's this fun to drive? He said, well, we want to do a senior trip. We were told we need to raise $1,000. This entered my era of entrepreneurs. <laughs> I thought, that's interesting. I wonder if I could solve that problem. So I told the senior, senior president, I said, listen, we've got a walnut orchard. We need to harvest the walnuts. Why don't you and some of your classmates come out this weekend? And we'll harness these walnuts and we'll pick them up 
Just bring in however many people you'd like to bring. Thinking, if they brought three, four, five people out, I could pay them by the pound, and I would have to do much work. Maybe I could take three or four days and I could pick up on the other side and go do what I wanted to do. Well, that Saturday morning came around. I was taking the wheelbarrows out, I was taking the gunny sacks out, I was taking the brakes out, I was taking the buckets out, I was taking everything out. And all of a sudden, this lone car comes down a long driveway. And I think, uh oh, it's got to be more than that. And all of a sudden, the van comes down the driveway. A pickup truck comes down the driveway. Next thing you know, I got 20 or 30 cars stacked deep down our driveway. And it wasn't just the senior class. It was the senior class, it was their brothers, it was their sisters, it was their parents. It was an army of people that showed up. And in three days, we picked that walnut up there. I didn't actually touch any walnuts. <laughs> what do you think I did? I said everything out, civilized. That was another era of learning something about being an entrepreneur. But the interesting thing to me was, as I observed this, and you know, the beautiful thing about life is you don't necessarily understand the meaning of things that are happening at the moment. Sometimes you only understand them, or mostly only understand them in reflection. At some other point in your life, you look backwards and say, what was the significance? What did I learn? What did that teach me? But at the moment, you don't see that. Well, this is an important lesson because... I was a 2.4 GPA high school graduate. I wasn't very good at math. I knew one thing though. Once I realized all these people were here were doing all these ones, I got a pain. And I need to net $5,400 or $5,500. And so back then, you know, you had manual calculators, you didn't have phones. So all I had was my money. So what did my money do? I paid up a price. I remember how much my parents used to charge per pound. And I just like increased it by almost double. Because I thought I need to sell these, I need to pay the cost. Well, an interesting thing happened. After the three days, we had all these walnuts out drawing. And parents were coming up to me and saying, Can we buy these walnuts? And I was like, Well, sure, they gotta dry. So in like three days, you can come pick them up. They said, What's the price? Uh, I don't know, it's per pound or whatever, per gun set. So Three days later, parents come out. They didn't just take a third of the walnuts, or two thirds of the walnuts. They asked if they could take all the walnuts. So it just so happens I raised almost nine thousand dollars, eighty-seven or eighty-eight hundred dollars selling walnuts. Something that struck me later on in life when I looked back was why did those parents come out and pick up the walnuts? Was it because of the walnuts? Or was it because they wanted to show their kids as their seniors in school that they loved them and wanted to send them on a trip? That they bought the walnuts to show those senior class members, their kids, that they were supporting them. So the very thing I hated taught me one of the biggest lessons, which is sometimes the thing you hate isn't really the thing, it's the benefit. It's the thing that that creates for somebody else that's important. Is this starting to make sense to you? The walnuts were just the walnuts, but they were the thing that led to being able to do something for people that meant something to the people they loved. Now, this is an important business lesson. Because some of us, I spend my whole life with entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur myself. And a lot of the times, almost 99% of the time, when you ask them what do you do, they throw up all over you talking about what they do. 
What they fail to see is that most people that are asking what you do don't really care what you do. They care about the impact of what you do. And because we manage marketing for thousands of businesses around the country, and they keep pounding on what they do, what they do, what they do, what they do, people are blind or turning off that message. But you talk about who you do it for, how you do it, the impact of what you do, you might grab some mind share. So this whole walnut thing was kind of my entree into entrepreneurs, even though maybe at that moment in time I didn't understand it. But here's the thing. I knew I wanted to do something bigger. I knew I wanted to do something huge. I was watching this show called Wall Street back in the, in the early, or the mid-80s, late-80s, and I read the book Barbarians at the Gate, and I used to drive this track around the student walnut orchard. And I used to have my little headset on listening to Gates to these two <laughs> and I think these are cool music, but what I would be thinking about, in fact, even Natalie today, my beautiful fiance, will say, How do you not know the words to all these old songs? I go, I used to hear them, but I didn't pay attention to them because I was dreaming. I was dreaming one day of being a guy in Wall Street, being the CEO, important person of a public company. The problem was, everyone I was surrounded with, when I would say that, would say, are you crazy? You're a 2.4 GPA, you're not even going to go to college. You can't spell. And they would tell me all the reasons why no one your age is ever going to do that. You're from a little town of Corvallis, Oregon. I'm like, I'm Beavers football team can't even win. <laughs> like, how are you going to win? Well, I kept dreaming. I learned another thing, the power of imprinting your mind. See, what you think about is ultimately what you talk about. What you talk about is ultimately what you do, and what you do is what you're known for, becomes your legacy. See, I didn't let anybody change what I was thinking about. I kept thinking about this, and thinking about this, and thinking about this. Well, I had an idea. There was a bunch of business owners. I was working as an outside sales rep. One of the first things I did is I moved out of my state and I went to Atlanta, Georgia when I was 19 years old. I got a car and I traveled in 11 states calling on doctors to sell hearing technology and convince them to use our product. And I traveled all of those 11 states. I lived in a hotel. Now, honestly, at 19, 20 years old, it was like a dream come true. It was like exploring. The South was an amazing place to do that because the people in the South were remarkable. I didn't invite any state people's homes or come over to the house for dinner. I felt like every town I had a family. And I learned to grow up, but I never lost the vision of what I wanted to do. Now fast forward 26, 27 years old, I made that move. I had a newborn baby, month old, I had a three-year-old, and at the time, my wife, and I had a half a million dollar home because I was running North American sales for this company at this time. I had elevated myself in my mid-20s to running a team of 30 around the country. I was making about 200 grand, 160 grand a year. Built a half a million dollar home. I thought, I've arrived. But I never, ever lost the idea that I wanted to do my own thing. And then there was this opportunity where I decided to leave the business. I walked in and I resigned. I put my house up for sale. I told my wife at the time we're moving to Oregon, back to Oregon, we're in the house, and we're going to start. 
Then I spent six months going around and talking to business owners because I saw something happening. And that was business owners that had worked 20 or 30 years were literally shutting their practices down, going over to their friendly competitor and saying, hey, will you please take care of all patients that I've been selling devices to for the last 30 years? I know you're a good competitor, but I'm tired and I'm going to retire. And there was nobody buying those businesses, so I had an idea. What if I bought all those businesses? Well, there was another convergence in the marketplace. There was a bunch of young audiologists graduating with AUDs or MAs at the time that were coming into the field of selling hair care. Now, they couldn't do that in the late 70s because it was against their professional designation, so they lose their license. But in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s, that changed. So I had an idea. What if I take the young people that are coming into the marketplace that are ambitious, and I bought the businesses that wanted to shut down, and I put those people in those businesses? And that was my idea. Now, I had to go around and make about 100 presentations to find somebody to give me a million dollars to start my first business. The way I did that is I sat down with a guy who wanted to retire, one of those retirees, and I said, instead of retiring, let me buy half the business. We buy half of it. I'll pay you about money. I'm going to pay you in 36 months. And I'll pay a little more than one quarter. But you've got to give me 36 months to pay you. He said, no problem. I took that business. It was about $1.8 million. It was trading on the Alberta Stock Exchange. His wife was the owner and he was kind of a banker and he did it for fun because he was bored. So he backed it in his trading on the Alberta Stock Exchange in Alberta, Canada. So I took control of that little public company. I didn't know what it meant to be a public company guy. But I finally had realized my dream accidentally. I was the CEO of a public company, albeit Calgary, Canada. I think it's Canada, but it's a little exchange. But what happened is after making 120 presentations and raising my first million and being told out of 119 presentations, you're a kid, you don't know anything, you're never going to make it, what are you doing, you're a high school graduate, your hair's too long, you don't know how to dress, you don't know how to talk, you don't know how to this, you don't know how to that, get out of here, don't waste my time. I finally found a guy that said, if you can buy those things at that price, I'll give you the million dollars. Finally. I took that million and then I raised six million with a group in Texas that said, if you can put $20 million of businesses under letter of intent that are willing to sell to you at those prices, we'll give you the six million to close on. I put 50 million under letter of intent. I went to New York and I made a bunch of presentations in the most prestigious private equity group in the world, Warburg Pinkins, wrote me a check for three million more than I was asking for for the same valuation because I thought I was that big. What I realized afterwards is they were closing a $2 billion fund and the $18 million was around in there. So they decided to give it to me just so they could close the fund. You learn things in the future that you didn't know at the time. This is really important because what it did do, though, is it set me up with a false sense of confidence. See, I thought they gave me the money because they loved the story. I thought they gave me the money because I had so many businesses under letter of intent that I could buy anything and everything I wanted to for so cheap. I thought they gave me the money because I talked good, and they sounded good, and my story was good, and I knew what I was doing. But the truth is they gave me the money because it was a rounding error, a $2 billion fund, and they didn't have a deal that they liked, and they liked money, so they just gave me the money. So sometimes in the moment when you're feeling really confident about something, remind yourself that something may be something else. Just like the walnuts aren't the walnuts. The walnuts were the thing to be learning. That people will do anything for people they love and they care about if it shows those people that they love and care about. It created a mindset that was a little different than where I was at. So, 29 years old, 
Half a billion dollars of business is under my belt to buy. I rang the opening bell of the American Soccer Exchange. It was the youngest guy to do it at the time. Today, you have 14 year olds and multi millionaires in development now. <laughs> Look how young that is. My little chubby face. See that? That was an amazing moment because I did something I'd always dreamed about. Now, that excitement and enthusiasm was short lived because after you go buy 100 of something, you realize you can't put them all together. When people sell to you and they say all sorts of promises and make all sorts of promises and then you close on it and you own it and they're like, hey, you know, we decided we don't really want to work. <laughs> that's what we sold. You should have known that. Well, then that's not what you said. No, I said that's what you buy me. So all of a sudden you have 120 or something and in the late 90s you have mainframe and internet. Everyone's like, you should go on the internet. No, the internet's stupid. No one's you AS 400 mainframes. It's been around 130 years. <laughs> so you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth trying to figure out what to do. But what happens when you buy $50 million of revenue overnight is you've got to figure out how to run your revenue. And when they're all independent businesses all over the place that won't even be made with deposits, you start to have a problem. So what I did is identified the five things that were causing the problems. And I went out to my half a billion dollars of deal flow, all those independent businesses, and I said, here are the programs I created. The way I'm going to prioritize buying my next round of businesses is whoever does these five things underneath my affiliate program, then I'll put you in the front of the line to buy you because it means I don't have to do it and I'll pay you more because it means I won't spend as much money trying to fix your business. Great concept. Here was the problem. A thousand businesses joined and decided not to sell because they took the five things I couldn't get my employees to do. They started doing it. Their businesses started growing like crazy. So they decided, hey, I've been owning my business for 20 or 25 years. I'm making more money than I've ever made, ever, using your stuff. So I don't want to sell. And yet I have 120 locations where people are like, we're not doing any of that. So consequently, just as I was fixing all that and getting ready to just dominate the world with this platform, my private equity group calls me again. So they branded You've been doing an interesting and uh, you know, somewhat great job of salvaging this whole thing, considering all the physician practice management groups, the healthcare groups, the orthodontic centers of America groups, these groups, these groups, we've got billions of them and have been 